Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Wow, so awkward and so awesome. Love me some Ricky Bobby prayer and some Ben Stiller prayer. Have you ever had any awkward moments in prayer like that? Well, we're doing a series on how to pray, a simple guide for, for normal people. You know, it's so funny as I was watching that, I'm thinking, you know, so many people think prayer is something that it really is not. It is certainly not po- poem writing. It is actually speaking to our Heavenly Father. It's, very, it's so much more simpler than what we realize. Hey, if you didn't get message notes when you came in, ushers are going to come forward. If you could just raise your hand up in the air and they will get those to you so you can follow along as we go through today. You know, the disciples asked Jesus a simple question. They just, they said, hey, how do we pray? And sometimes we, we just think, well, prayer, prayer. I mean, that's just something that we know how to do. But man, it's a gr- good question. What, what is it? How do we do it? And the answer that Jesus gave to his disciples was, was pretty cool. Luke 11, 1, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them as his answer the greatest prayer in history. In fact, you probably know it. We call it the Lord's Prayer. In fact, we have it on the screen there. Why don't you may even have it memorized? It's said a lot of times. So why don't we just say it together, okay? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, that was a great teaching tool. And you know how I know? Because that prayer said so many years ago is still being said today. And those disciples who it was taught to went on to be really some of the greatest prayers of all time. In fact, their prayers shook buildings. Their prayers opened jail cells. Their prayers prayed over handkerchiefs that were passed out and given to people that were sick and they were healed. Their prayers changed the culture and their prayers through the power of God are really the reason why we are all sitting here today. But I'm sure it took them a little bit of time to get where they needed to, to be in prayer. And we're, we're looking at this book uh, written by Pete Gregg that's How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And in it, there is this acronym for the word pray, and we're talking about it. And so, so pray, P is to pause, that's to stop. R is to rejoice, rejoice a heavenly father who is loving, who loves you, but not only loves you, he likes you. The A is ask, because we do need to humble ourselves and learn how to ask. And then the Y is yield. Yield to God. Why? Because his ways are much better. And he wants us to know his ways. And hopefully as we do this series, for some of you, you know, like Ben Stiller needs to have prayer demystified, okay? He needs to realize that it's a lot more simpler than what he thinks. I mean, I guess you can rhyme your prayer. That's great, but you don't have to. God's not interested in your poetic meter. He's interested in you, okay? And if you've been praying maybe your whole life or for a long time, maybe for you, you will begin to grow and go deeper. And all of us, we want to have our lives redefined, renewed, 
and reinvigorated our relationship with God to be renewed. So here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to talk about the, the P in that, that, that first acronym there, and that is to pause. You see, see what I did there? I paused, you know, for, for real. I paused. It, kind of, it was kind of awkward, wasn't it? We don't like silence. We don't like the pause. In fact, we would love to have the gaps filled up. I would love to have all the gaps filled up because it's just more comfortable. But you know what? We need to learn in prayer and in life how to pause. Well, in case you haven't figured it out already, this is the year 2020. It is the future. And we've come a long ways. And if you haven't figured this out, and I know you know it, is life is fast. Life is rapid. Life is busy. In fact, we live at an unreasonably controlled pace. We are infatuated with doing so much. And to prove it, we have high stress. We have lots of anxiety. And a lot of people are really down. And a lot of people are depressed. In fact, I think it's like this. It's like we are on a gerbil wheel of life. You know the, the gerbil wheel, the little the gerbil gets on there and he just runs. He's going nowhere, absolutely nowhere, but he is running his little legs off as fast as he can. He is the fastest person going nowhere. And honestly, I think that is exactly the way that it is with, with, with us. In fact, there's even a name for that gerbil wheel of life. It's called the hedonistic treadmill. There's actually a name for it. And I hate to say it, but if we're not careful, we can get on that and we can find it very hard to pause. Now, why does this happen? Why does it happen? Well, I have a little illustration. It's very, very simple that I think kind of describes it in some way. I have something here in my pocket that you're very, very familiar with. In fact, you all have one of them as well. It's called a, it's called a smartphone, okay? They've been around a long time, and this is, this is an iPhone XR, and it does amazing, amazing things. I mean, the amount of technology and the things that I can do in a day from this phone are pretty incredible. I can order my food. I can uh, check my schedule. I can, you know, do anything I can do, I can pretty much do from this phone. And one of the most amazing things is this the wonderful thing in the back, the camera. And there you see it. And I was really excited. I got this last summer. And I was excited because for the first time, I was going to have a new iPhone with a much better camera. This is the XR. And I was so happy because I was walking around with the latest phone, you know, you know, taking it out in the coffee shop, you know, making sure people saw that I had the good camera on the back. It was the, you know, new phone where I can just look at it and it unlocks, you know, because I hadn't had an upgrade in a long time, okay? And I was real happy for about three months. You know why? Because then another one came out. And the other one came out, had a bigger, better, faster camera than this one. In fact, you, some of you may have it. It's got, you see this little one little thing? It has two of them on there. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, what? it's like bigger, better, faster, stronger. And suddenly I had this anxiety like, I've got to somehow improve to get that. It's just crazy how that works. And then five years from now, they'll have one that has cameras all over the back of it, I'm sure. I mean, cameras everywhere. Be able to blink your eye and take a picture or something like that. It'll, ha it'll happen, I'm sure. Okay? We progress fast. Now, a little funny thing I happen to have in here, the very first iPhone that I ever bought, okay? And this is, this is wild to look at this, okay? This is the very first iPhone. This is the original iPhone, okay? Just a little over 10, ten years old. Look how thick it is. And look how tiny it is. I mean, it's like a little postage stamp pulling out of your pocket. But I remember at the time, I mean, this was the thing to have. And it even has on the back a little camera that at the time I thought was the most amazing camera ever. And I look at some of the pictures now, and they are so grainy, and they are so bad. It is crazy. You know how much I paid for this thing? 
I think it was like 800 bucks when it came out. Now, at the time, it was worth it. You look at it now, and I can't even turn it on now. But think about this. Look at this. Bigger, better, faster, stronger. I got to have it. I got to do more. Even if it's to make me more efficient or do even greater things, I've got to have it. And before you know it, you have this heightened expectation that it's impossible to top. It's the hedonistic treadmill. We do it with everything. We do it with our jobs. We do it with our income level. And unfortunately, we do it sometimes with people. The hedonistic treadmill. Going nowhere faster, faster, more expectations, more busy, depression, anxiety, and all of a sudden we are in a place that is no good. Now, this is not new to man. This has been around. This kind of thing has been around since the beginning of time. In fact, I'll prove it to you. In the book of Genesis in chapter 11, it talks about the latest technology that people came up with. You know what it was at that time? It was the brick. Yes, the brick. The invention of the brick got people onto this bigger, better, faster, stronger. I got to be more. I got to do more treadmill. And they started building this tower so they could be a little bit more like God. And God said, man, this is a problem that these people have. And he actually smashed it and scattered them so where they couldn't talk anymore so that they wouldn't try to do that. And you want to know what the deep, dark secret is and what the really bad thing? Now, I'm not saying there's anything bad with technology. But what I'm saying is there's something bad with elevating ourselves up to, to a higher degree of expectation in us. And what it does is it brings more on us. And the sad part is, is it pushes God no room more for God, and it pushes him right off the landscape. And before you know it, we are in a place that we are so fast that we don't even have time to hear his voice. With prayer to start, you must first stop. To move forward, you must first pause. Then we can really be in a position to understand what Jesus is inviting us to do, something profound, something personal, something intimate, something relational. That is what prayer is. Blaise Pascal said it this way, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And I would add to that, to sit quietly in a room alone with God. Psalm 37, seven says it this way, and this is where we're going to park. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. It's so simple. It's so easy, but it is so hard for us to do. In prayer, we have to pause the crazy life. We've got to stop the wheel, stop the treadmill Put down our agenda, put down our list, stop speaking at God, and focus on who he is. You see, you understand our relationship with God is not about a do, it's about a who. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So I'm going to give you three things that are very, very simple that we got to do to be still, okay? And you can write them in there in your notes. The first one is we need to just stop. I hear that in my home every time I start to tell my kids a dad joke. 
dad, just stop. <laughs> That's what they tell me. Just stop. We need to just stop. We need to just stop. There's a funny story. There was a guy that, that took his greyhound dog to the coffee shop, and he, he didn't take it inside with him, so he tied it up outside on a barista chair and went in to get, go get his coffee. While he was outside, the, the dog was a greyhound. is strong enough that he pulled over the cheap metal and plastic chair, and it fell down. And when the chair fell down, it made a noise that scared the dog. The dog jumped, and the dog started to run. And as the dog started to run, the chair kept kind of attached to his leash, falling behind him and banging and rattling and making noise, which kept scaring the dog even more and more. And he kept running, and it was just this crazy mess of greyhound freaking out and chair bangling and making a racket everywhere. All the dog would have had to do would be just stop. And the thing that scared him wouldn't scare him anymore. I think that's a perfect picture for our life. We've got life banging and rattling around behind us, and we're pulling it along. We just got to realize we got to stop to get it where it needs to be. God knows we need to stop. In fact, he even stopped himself. When he was creating the universe and the world on the seventh day, you want to know what he did? He stopped. He rested. If God has to do it, I think we need to do it as well. When we stop, when we stop, it recenters our priorities on God, letting us, reminding us that he is in control and we are not. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. In the Psalms, the word selah is used over 71 times. And that word is actually used to mean pause. It's pausing for music, you know, like in a, a musical sense, but it also means to pause so that you can ponder and actually consider the words that are being said. We need to learn how to stop. We need to learn how to have the gaps. A couple years ago, I was on a, a road trip with my, with my father and we were going on Interstate 70 uh, from Kansas City all the way to Ohio. Interstate 70, major interstate highway, goes through St. Louis, goes through Indianapolis, all the way to Columbus, Ohio. And we were on there, and I was getting kind of tired, so I said, hey, Dad, would you mind driving for a little bit? He's like, no problem. So I, I get in the passenger seat, and I start to take a nap, and, and we're just about to St. Louis. He drives. I fall asleep. I wake up sometime later, and now, now remember, Interstate 70, big major highway. I wake up, I start looking around, and I'm like, this is a two-lane highway that we're on. And there's cornfields on either side of the road, and here's a town with some grain silos. And then we come to a four-way stop at an intersection. I'm like, boy, this is not the I-70 I remember. And I'm like, Dad, where are we at? This doesn't look like, like Interstate 70. And he's, he's like, yeah, I think we're a little bit off, but I think if I go a little further, I'm going to find this one road that goes to the right. I mean, he's just smiling. And I'm thinking, Dad, no, this is not right. So I get my phone out, and I look, and we are like 200 miles off course. We are somewhere in, in northern Illinois going through some farm town I've never even heard of. And I'm like, Dad, we need to stop. And he's like, no, I think, I think it's just right up here. I'm going to keep, I'm like, Dad, stop. Just stop. Guys, you can get off course so easy in your life. The noise, the rattling, the stuff that you're carrying, sometimes we just need to stop. When we pray, we need to stop. Okay, so here's the, not only do we need to stop, but the next thing we got to do is we need to stop. And when, once we're stopped, we need to learn how to be quiet. Be quiet. Have you ever known somebody 
that like to talk a lot? Raise your hand if you know somebody that likes to talk. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Okay, we, a lot of us. If you're not raising your hand, I hate to tell you this, but <laughs> you might be the person that talks too much. I'm just saying. Everybody's got somebody that talks too much. Man, there was, there was one time, Karen and I, this was years ago, right after we got married, we went on a missions trip to Saltillo, Mexico. We went down there with, our, with some folks from our church, and uh, on the way back, we met some missionaries there. And they asked us if we could drive their, their Volkswagen bus back to East Texas. And now Volkswagen bus, that, you probably know what that is. That is standard issue for hippies in the 60s. That is a little Volkswagen bus. And so I, we drove that a long ways. And it was Karen and I, it was one of our youth kids, and it was this lady that I didn't know very well from our church. And I want to tell you something. That lady talked all the way from Saltillo, Mexico to Marshall, Texas, it was crazy. And that Volkswagen bus would not go over 60 miles an hour. I mean, it was crazy. I was wanting to get there as fast as I could, but I couldn't. It was torture. It was painful. Now, I, I'm pastor, so I got to listen to people, and I got to be nice. Somebody says, you got to do that. I wanted to turn around and just tell her, would you be quiet? Would you just shut up? I think we need to be like that before God. We need to be quiet. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3, 7 says, there's a time to talk, but there's also a time to be quiet. And you know what the problem most of us have in the quietness is that our mind is the thing that keeps talking. The gerbil wheel, the treadmill is going on in your head. Do you ever wish you could just kind of turn your brain off? Like I wish like at the end of the day, your work day, you could just go and just turn off and just kind of vegetate. It's not easy to do, and it just keeps going, and, and my, I want to slow it down, but I rebel, and I want to just keep that thing going. Now, here's the deal. We understand that when we pray, we need to be, we're with God. We're in his presence. We need to be with him, okay? It's very important, and, and that's, that's important, and you know, a lot of people kind of have this idea of like, well, God will speak to me whenever I can do whatever steps to get him to come. I can, you know, do whatever, say the right words, get him to come. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't really think it works quite that way. Um, so Psalm 139, verse 7 says this, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the grave, you're there. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Honestly, I don't think we can get away from God's presence. I think it is everywhere. The problem is, is we can't quiet our mind to actually understand and listen and hear. In fact, did you know that the Latin word for still is the word vacate? And as you can imagine, it's the same root that we get the word vacation from. Think about that. That makes sense. Whenever you vacate, you vacation, you are trying to get away from the world so that it can be still, so that it can be quiet. Again, we need to do that from our busy world. We need to get away so we can be with God. And we also need to vacate from the idea that we have that somehow we know best. And somehow we can make the decisions that only God knows how to do. We need to be quiet so we can get his stuff. Psalm 131, verse 1 and 2 says this, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not 
concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child from its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. We have to learn how to be quiet. So not only do we need to stop, and then once we're stopped, we need to be quiet. But then, and finally there, we need to wait patiently so that we can hear. We can hear. I think God has a lot to say from us. If I were to ask you, what does the voice of God sound like to you? There could probably be a lot of answers. And certainly he speaks in a lot of different ways. He speaks through his Holy Spirit. He speaks through the word of God. He speaks through other people. He speaks through our experiences. Certainly he does, and his voice cannot be pinned down to one thing. But I think sometimes wrongly we think that God's voice is like this triumphal entry into the room. Like somehow it's like, you know, Charlton Heston is Moses on Mount Sinai. We're going to hear that loud voice of God booming. The trumpets are going to sound, and it's going to, aha, the voice of God, I got it. Now certainly he could do that if he wanted to. But I think it might be actually a little bit more like God slowly walking into the room, sitting down where you least think, and him whispering quietly to you. We know it from Scripture. They expected Jesus to enter triumphantly into the, uh, and be the leader in Jerusalem. But no, he came in on a donkey, he came nice and quiet. Okay, I think in prayer it kind of works the same way. In fact, 1 Kings 19, there's a Scripture, a story about Elijah needing to hear from God. And here's how it went down. This is 1 Kings 19.11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But you know what? The Lord was not in the fire. Now surely, wind, earthquake, fire, come on, that's where God's voice is going to speak. No, it didn't happen that way. And after the, gen- the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You see, God can speak I think a lot of times he wants to speak more than we could ever imagine. But we've just got things so loud that we can't hear what he wants to say. You know, Psalm 23 is a very well-known psalm. It's said a lot of times at funerals, and so we kind of know it because of that. But I want to read it to you, and I want you to actually think of it differently. I want you to put yourself is if God is speaking this to you, is if you are the one that he's talking to. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation, and here's what it says, Psalm 23. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me on an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in the footsteps of the righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. 
You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely for you're near. You become my delicious feast even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrances of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be with you forever. I think that's amazing. And I think God wants to speak with us. He wants us to stop. He wants us to be quiet. And he wants us to be in a place to, so that we could hear, get off that gerbil wheel. Get off that treadmill so that he can speak to us the things that he wants us to hear. I know it's hard. I know it's tough. But our lives depend on it. How do you pray? You pray by pushing pause. So what I want to do is in the last few minutes of this service, the worship team is going to lead us, but I want you guys to just close your eyes. And I know you, you don't have to always close your eyes to pray, but we're going to do it now just so that we can kind of focus and, you know, we can just get all the stuff out for now. And um, by the way, the, the last four blanks there, if you're one of those people that needs to have all the blanks filled before you go, if you're going to feel bad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you those things. It's, it's four practical ways uh, to quiet our soul is to relax, breathe, speak, and repeat. Instead of really talking about that, I want us to just do it right now. So if you could just close your eyes and just maybe put your hands on your lap, put your, put your phone away, put everything away. Just try to focus in on the Lord right now. And I want you just to breathe in, just take a nice deep breath. Just exhale. We're just going to push pause. We're going to pause and we're going to spend the last few moments of the service just in his presence. Just quieting ourselves, just pushing pause, getting all the stuff out. Just relax. Maybe just begin to speak out his name. Just begin to pray quietly to him. Lord, we love you. Jesus, you are here. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, you are all in all. You are our God. You're our savior. You're our friend. We just quiet our lives, the busyness, the concerns, the worries, the frustrations, the weight, the mountain of things that we have lurking. We just want to put those to the side and declare that you are God. We just want to wait here in your presence. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thanks for joining us today. 
If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11. See you next time.